Our topic tonight out of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, the lion's den, Daniel and the lion's den. This is an account that's in like every children's Bible, every children's book or version. Most uh, children learn this somewhere along the line of, in any type of Bible school or Bible class. But there's much more to it than just a children's story. It's a good children's story. There's a lion and all this kind of stuff. But uh, there's much more to it. And uh, I think we're going to try to get into some of the more deeper aspects of Daniel chapter 6 than just the surface reading of it. So let's look at start in verse, Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Darius set 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. He set three governors over them, and Daniel was one of the governors. All right, so a little background. Daniel has been taken captive uh, by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon, and he has outlived all the Babylonian kings, three Babylonian kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son and his grandson. And now we're into the Medo-Persian time period. Medo, the Medo-Persians came and attacked Babylon and overtook Babylon. And uh, Daniel was there at that event. We talked about that as we read Daniel chapter 5, and we'll look at that a little bit more <laughs> later on, how that took place in another chapter. Medo-Persians came in, and now the Medo-Persians are ruling over all the area that the Medes and the Persians once ruled over, plus now all that Babylon ruled over. And so uh, Darius here now is the king reigning over this land, and he has set uh, three governors, including Daniel as one of those governors, and 120 satraps to govern over the entire territory. And I, we read that, if I'm just remembering, I think it's in the book of Esther, where it mentions 120 provinces that the message went out to kill all the Jews under Haman. It mentions that 120, and so here we have this correlation of the 120. And if I got my uh, picture right here, if I remember reading what this picture is, or it's a, it's a uh, stone cutting of Darius the king there, and I think that's his son, which might be Xerxes, which is the, the king of the book of Esther if I read that right and read from a correct source, regarding what that is depicting uh, in that cut. So that gives us a little idea of where we're at. So we're sometime in the, book of, in the time of Daniel, after Jerusalem has been destroyed, after the time of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, yet before Esther, uh, which is also still during the Persian realm. Okay, so here we are in Darius, in the book of Daniel, chapter 6. Verse 3, because an excellent spirit was in Daniel, he distinguished himself above the other governors and satraps. The king gave thought to, the setting, to setting him over the entire realm, over the whole realm. Right? So here's Daniel, um, once part of the Babylonian kingdom, now part of the Medo-Persian kingdom, and here the Medo-Persian king is thinking about putting Daniel from the Babylonian realm, over all of his governors, his three governors, and over uh, all these sirtraps, over the entire nation. That's pretty amazing to make that step from one to the other, right? So, you know, one nation taking over another nation and making one of their leaders, or one of their wise men, one of your leaders, over all the other leaders that have been built up all these years and have worked for you and served you all this time. So that's pretty amazing, but it's because, the Bible says, an excellent spirit was found in Daniel. Now here we are in Daniel chapter 6. Do you think an excellent spirit would have been seen in Daniel if he had been compromising with God all along? 
Right in Daniel chapter 1, when he was tempted to eat the king's food, to eat the, the meat served to idols, to eat the unclean animals, to eat the pigs, and to eat the blood, and to eat the king's wine, if he would have yielded to that trial, at the risk of his life if he disobeyed, would an excellent spirit be seen in him if he would have gone along with the, with the others and just eaten in disobedience to the word of God what the king was giving him? Do you think if, and he wasn't there in, in uh, well, in Daniel chapter 2, when the, when the king has a dream, and Daniel comes forth and interprets it, even though it's not 100% favorable to the king, but he gave a, uh, an accurate description, an accurate interpretation of the prophecy? Again, maybe at the risk of his life, the king might have said, well, I don't like that interpretation. That doesn't throw me in a great light, or our kingdom in a great light. And I don't like that. I don't like people negative about our kingdom. But he gave a faithful message. Do you think an excellent spirit would have been in Daniel if he would have yielded out of fear instead of giving a faithful testimony? Do you think an excellent spirit would have been in Daniel if he had been there in Daniel chapter 3 when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were taken to the plains of Durham and the big statue was made up all of gold and commanded to bow down? Again, Daniel wasn't there, probably because Nebuchadnezzar knew he wouldn't bow down. But if he had been there, do you think an excellent spirit would have been found in him way into chapter 6 if he would have compromised and bowed down to idols just to save his neck? And I say just to save his neck. Well, that's pretty important, saving your neck, right? No, I don't think so. And again, when he was given, an, the king had another dream, and Daniel again gave a faithful interpretation, even though it was not favorable to the king. You're going to go nuts, king. And he gave a faithful message, an accurate message. And in Daniel chapter 5, the handwriting on the wall. And the king, Belteshazzar, 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 Belteshazzar whatever, king of Babylon says, come interpret it. And he interprets it accurately. And certainly not in favor of the king. And yet he spoke the truth. Even though it wasn't popular, even though it wasn't what the hearer really wanted to hear, Yet he was faithful to his calling and told the truth, even if it was an inconvenient truth. He gave the truth, and he lived the truth. He lived according to the word of God and did not compromise. That's why an excellent spirit was found in him. And that same excellent spirit can be found in each one of us as well. As we walk faithfully with our God, by God's spirit, by God's grace, by God's power. Like Joseph. Potiphar saw an excellent spirit in Joseph. The jailer in charge of all the, the jail saw an excellent spirit in Joseph. The Pharaoh saw an excellent spirit in Joseph and elevated him to a position next to himself. And like Daniel, he did not compromise, he did not yield. He told the truth and he lived the truth, even though it meant getting his brothers upset, even though it meant getting thrown in prison. He told the truth, he lived the truth. An excellent spirit was found in him. And like Elijah, Elijah prayed regarding 
Elijah, I want a double portion of the spirit that you've placed to God. I want a double spirit, portion of the spirit, God, that you placed upon Elijah. And God granted him a double portion of that spirit. And God wants to pour his spirit out upon us. So an excellent spirit can be seen in us. Because it's that God's spirit that gives us the ability not to yield to those temptations. To not compromise in every area, whether bowing to idols or telling the truth or eating what the Bible says or living out what the Bible says. We need God's spirit to do that. And so it's kind of a multiplying thing. We need God's spirit to be able to stand against the temptations. And it takes God's spirit to be able to stand. And so when we're faced with temptation, when we're faced with trials, when we're faced with being offered to do something against the word of God, we pray and we confess our weakness. We pray and, and ask God to cleanse us of our evil desires, of our desire for life, of our desire for safety, of our fears, of our insecurities, of our carnal cravings. And we confess that and we accept the cleansing of it through the power of the blood of the Messiah. In Daniel's day, through the sacrifice at the temple. And then God gives us his spirit to give us the power to make the right choices. And then as we go through another trial, we ask for more of God's spirit, and it's a multiplying effect. And an excellent spirit was seen in Daniel. Do you want that kind of excellent spirit? Do you want that to be said of you? Do you want that to be seen in you? God's spirit, an excellent spirit seen in you. You have to wait till the end of the sermon for a prayer time. We'll be praying even as we continue on. Lord, give me that excellent spirit. God, like Elisha, give me a double portion of the spirit that you placed upon Elijah. Give me a double portion of that spirit you placed upon Daniel. If you did it in Daniel and you did it in Joseph and you did it in others, Lord, you can do it in me as well. Make that your prayer. If that's what you want. If you want God's spirit to live in you. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. By God's power, God's grace, God can give us that same excellent spirit like he gave upon Daniel. Is that what you're wanting? You want God's spirit in your life. Verse 4. The governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no fault or no charge because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Now, maybe I should have warned you before I invited you to pray for God's Spirit and pouring out of God's Spirit. Because when we have God's Spirit and an excellent Spirit placed into us, there will be people who recognize it, like Pharaoh, recognize it in Joseph, like Darius, recognizing it in Daniel. But then there's going to be a whole lot of other people who are going to recognize it and not like it at all. <laughs> and they're going to try and find fault in you. And they're going to try and attack you. And they're going to try and bring you down to the, their level. And so for every one that sees an excellent spirit in you, there'll be another 122 out there or more seeking to find fault in you. And they're not going to like it. Because it brings conviction upon us when we see someone else living a godly life. When we see someone else living a life that we know we should be living, in an area that we know we should be living. 
And it convicts us. Because we think, well, hey, if they're living it, then I can live it too. But I don't want to live it. So then we try subconsciously, we may not even think this through, but we then subconsciously try and find some other fault in their life, some other area in their life where we're living more holy or better or more righteous than they are. And so then we can put them down in this other area and chastise them in this other area and talk badly about them in this other area and bring them down in other people's minds so that we and others won't be looking at that other area where they're living right and we're not. So they're seeking to find fault in him. We hopefully are not in the midst of that. Hopefully we, you, me, are not in the midst of fault-finding in others and trying to bring other people down so we can feel a little bit better about ourselves. But too often, we are tempted with that as well. But as they sought to find fault or charge against Daniel, they could not because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Here are the two governors, 120 Sir Traps, in charge of the CIA and the FBI and all the intelligence and all the surveillance, and they were able to go in and check his phone and check his emails and check his tweets and check his background and get his high school yearbook and check that and talk with his high school buddies and his enemies and his teachers and his grandma, and they searched everything they could about his life to try and dredge something up. And it says there was no fault found in him. They listened in on his phone conversations. I have no doubt they're all recorded somewhere. I have no doubt that every phone, right, now it all goes somewhere through something, right? It's imprinted somewhere. If someone wants to see it or listen back to it. So they checked everything, right? I don't know if they had 60 Minutes or 2020 at that time. I don't even know if they have that anymore. Do they still have those shows? I don't know. We don't have, I don't think we have investigative journalism anymore either, but they checked him out in every way, shape, or form, and they tried to find something in him and couldn't find anything. That's pretty amazing. Right? Would you be willing to run for some political office, president or something like that, and have all your opponents check out everything about you? How would you stand? Would they be able to find some fault back in your high school days, college days, elementary school days, or last week? Would it be that hard to them to find talking to previous bosses, your spouse or previous spouse, or children or parents? Would it be very hard for them to find something that you wouldn't want published in the front pages of the internet news? They could find no fault in Daniel. And we have a long history of Daniel's life. And the Bible records no fault against him. And it's not because the Bible is trying to show favoritism. I mean, the Bible lays it out. When David made a mistake, it shows it. When Moses made a mistake, the Bible tells it. When Adam made a mistake, the Bible tells it. And the Bible doesn't tell any mistake in Daniel. And here these guys are trying to find some fault, and they can't find it. Similarly, like Joseph. We have a long history of Joseph. No recorded sin against him either. 
So is it thus possible to live and have the record record that there was no fault found in them? So again, this book, all these story books are not just story books in the book of Daniel. They're prophetic, as prophetic as the prophetic books of the book of Daniel. God wants us to live without fault before him. The Bible describes a group of people who are going to live without guile in their mouth, like virgin brides, pure, waiting for the groom to come, without blot on their record, without sin. It doesn't mean we never make a mistake. It doesn't mean that Daniel never forgot someone's name. It doesn't mean that Daniel never stubbed his toe. It doesn't mean he never burnt a toast or a bagel, right? I mean, he never made a mistake. But never chose to rebel against God. Is it possible to live that way? Could we all agree here that it would be wrong to break into someone's house and to go inside and kill their dog or their cat? Would we all agree here that that would be wrong? Yeah. I mean, breaking into houses is horrible, right? Yeah, that would definitely be wrong, right? Maybe the other part, too. I don't know. But, you know, right? So that would, we would all agree that that would be wrong, right? So if we all agree that that would be wrong, is there any reason why you would go and do that? Is there any reason that you would have to go and do that? Right? Is it possible for us to not go and do that? Is it possible for all of us to leave here and tonight not go break into anyone's house and kill their pets? Right? Is that possible? Do you think that's possible for you to do? Do you think you can make it through a night? Do you think you can make it through the rest of your life without ever breaking into someone's house and killing their pets? Do you think that's possible? Yeah, by God's grace, I think that's possible. Without God, it's not possible. Without God, we'd all go and mad and, and, and break into everyone's house and steal all their stuff and kill everything they have. That's our carnal nature. Right? That's the end result of total rejection of God. But it is possible by God's presence and God's power, right, to not... How many thus far, you've lived a little bit of time, how many thus far, if you want to be honest, right, how many thus far have broken into people's homes and killed all their pets? Have you ever done that? Anyone you want to let it, let it be known here? Oh, we got, I think, an honest group, right? You're an honest group, right? All right, so if you live this long and have never done that, it's possible to live the rest of your life and never do that, right? So if it's possible to live this long and never get broken into someone's house and kill all their pets... And possible not to do that for the rest of your life. Then why would it be impossible to not do anything else that we know is wrong to do? Right? If by God's grace we can resist doing that, why can't we resist gossiping or criticizing or worrying or being fretful or negative or accusing or putting other gods before us, coveting, committing adultery, lying, bearing false witness, or any of the other Ten Commandments, or any of the commandments of God, right? If we know it's wrong, God can give us his excellent spirit to give us the power and the victory so that, like Daniel, it can be recorded there was no fault found in him, right? Does that, mean, that make sense? Is that the power of God? Right? That's the gospel. The power of God to transform us from disobedient, 
because otherwise we'd be all like the governors and search traps here, trying to find fault and trying to bring Daniel down. And what they're trying to do is just as bad as breaking into his house and killing his pets, trying to destroy his life, as we'll see here in a minute. And again, that's where we'd all be without the grace of God. But with the grace of God, with the Spirit of God, it's possible for us to not break in homes and kill pets, and it's possible for us to have recorded regarding our lives like it's recorded regarding Daniel. There was no fault found in him. And that's what God is looking for in these last days. That's what God is waiting for. To allow the last days to unfold is for a people group who can stand like Daniel because they have God's excellent spirit in them, and there is no fault found in them. There is no charge against them because they have surrendered all to the Lord, received his cleansing and removal of their carnal nature, and received God's power and God's spirit to live godly lives that can be seen even by King Darius and seen by the others, but they don't want to admit it. Then these men said, well, they admit it, they just don't want to yield to it, right? So in verse 5, then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Right? So they admit there's no fault in this guy. So we're going to have to find something about his religion that is different than the rest of our religion here. And again, this is prophetic. It's real. It happened to Daniel. It's literal history. But it's also prophetic, dual Historical account and typifying last days as well. The last day issue to try and trip us up, to try and get us to find that, that the accuser will find fault against us, the devil will be able to stand in the judgment against us, finding fault against us, will be concerning the law of God. That is going to be the issue as we'll get into in the further chapters of Daniel. Get into setting the stage here in chapter 6, getting ready, really, for chapter 7. The anti-Messiah, the mark of the beast, has to do with the law of God. That's what the issue is. Choosing to obey God or breaking the laws of God. And that's where Daniel's been tested and tested and tested. And shown faithful and faultless, and an excellent spirit found in him regarding the law of God. Verse 6, these governors and satraps said to the king, King Darius, live forever, you hypocrites. All the governors and satraps and administrators, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So they're setting him up to kill him. Not just to get him fired, but to kill him. And again, that's where we'd all be. That's how low we can get. And go and pretend to the king, Oh, king, we want to honor you. And no one can make any petition to anyone except to you, oh, king. To no other god, to nothing but to you, just for 30 days. They're flattering the king. Oh, live forever. We want to honor you with this law exalting you and bringing everybody to you for 30 days. 
O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. And King Darius signed the decree. Sounded good to him. He's got his two trusted governors there, 120 sirtraps there, as well as all these others that are listed there, right? The, the counselors, the administrators, the advisors, they're all there. Whether in person or in signature or backing, he's got all these people saying this is a great idea. Okay, sounds like a good idea, 30 days, signs off on it. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Now there's a lot here in this verse. This is great. This tells us how an excellent spirit was found in Daniel. as was his custom since early days. He prayed to the Lord three times a day. Made his supplication before the Lord three times a day. Facing towards Jerusalem, why three times a day? We have the morning and evening sacrifices, and we'll see later on in Daniel, that's when some of his prayer times were. In relation to the sacrifices which weren't being offered then, but no doubt he was surrendering his life to the Lord and confessing, even though there was not an actual sacrifice being offered, but the sacrifice prefigured the Messiah, and sacrifice had been offered since the time of Adam. And so the sacrificial system, symbolic of the Messiah dying to give us forgiveness of sins, and so he's confessing his weaknesses, confessing the carnal nature that, that, that pulls towards sin. That desires to do wrong. That has inclinations that are totally against God and are actually enmity against God, are hatred of God and resistant to God. That's how we're born. We're born with a resistance to God seated in us. And so he's confessing that and surrendering that and giving that over. David mentioned about praying three times a day. Good to start every day before we go out, before maybe we get out of bed, to start our day surrendering our lives to the Lord. Asking for God to fill us with his spirit, to keep us from sinning throughout the day. That God's spirit gives us the ability to keep a focus on him and to put him first and foremost in all things. And then at the end of the day, to close the day, with confessing any faults that might have come, any mistakes we might have made, any sins that we might have committed, allowing God to review in our minds any known or unknown area that we yielded to temptation to the devil. To go through and give thanks for what the Lord did in our lives through the day. To pray for people that we met And also in the middle of the day, for whatever need there is during the day, for whatever circumstance comes our way, for whatever project we're working on, for whatever person we're interacting with, for whatever opportunity comes our way through the day, 
praying for God to direct us and guide us through it and to use us in being a blessing in the midst of it. Paul talks about praying continually. That doesn't mean with kneeling down facing Jerusalem you know, all day 24-7. But an attitude of prayer, an attitude of submission, an attitude of surrender to God. Not just a rote prayer, not now I lay me down to sleep, you know, or Lord thank you for this food, that, however that thing goes. But a submissive surrender to God and asking for his spirit to meet the current need at hand. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Whatever the specific temptation is, whatever the evil that's coming upon us is, whether internally or externally, praying and gaining the victory through God. So from his early days, probably as a young child, and this is what gave him the ability to not compromise there in Daniel chapter 1 with the food or Daniel chapter 2 or 3 or 4 or 5. When all those temptations came upon him. And the only way that we can be able to pray three times a day is by having God's Spirit. So again, it works together. If you don't feel like praying, you don't just set your clock to remind you and then that that's not, it could be helpful and that's fine. But it's more than just doing it in your own strength. But it's asking God, you can confess that. Lord, I don't feel like praying. Lord, I get bored praying. Lord, my mind, my, mind, my mind wanders when I'm praying. Lord, I don't know what to pray. Confess it, be, start with that. Lord, give me your spirit and pray through me. Show me what to pray. Tell me what to pray. Help me to pray. Illuminate me. And give me the words to pray. Give me a desire to pray. Give me a love for prayer. Give me a love for your word. Spend time not only in prayer, but in his word each day as well. Morning, evening, start the day, end the day, and maybe in the middle of the day. Have it on your phone, waiting in line. Read it on your phone. Instead of checking the Facebook or something all the time, or the news all the time. Let God's word permeate our minds. Portions through the day. So an excellent spirit was found in him partly because he prayed and surrendered three times a day. Now, he, started, he did this when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. Right? So he knew. He knew this meant I'm going to be thrown into a lion's den. He knew what was at hand. He knew what was at stake. And he didn't have to think about it. As soon as he knew, and it was probably early in the morning, because in that day he got the chance to pray three times that day. The decree went forth, he went home, as he always did, and he prayed. He knew it. He was faithful to God. He was faithful to the king, but the line is drawn when the king asks us to disobey God. That's where the line is drawn. We're called to obey the laws of the land. But if they tell us to disobey God, to break God's law, and again, that's going to be the issue in these last days. Then we obey God rather than man. 
And that's what he did. He knew, when he knew it was signed, he went home in his upper room, as he always did, with the window open towards Jerusalem. Would God hear the prayer if the windows were closed? Would God hear the prayer if he went down, not in the upper room, but down in the basement somewhere, in a, in a dark closet somewhere, in a cave somewhere, out in the woods somewhere? Down by the river, or just walking along, right? Looking like he's looking at stuff, but he's praying. Right? Is it possible to walk and pray? Possible to drive and pray, right? That's a good thing to do, <laughs> drive and pray, this day and age. Yeah, he could have done that. But no, he purposely opened the windows, as he always did, the window where he always prayed, facing Jerusalem and knelt down, so that it could be seen. Why did he do that? Again, God would have heard him if he would have shut the window or any of these other things. But what kind of message would have been given if he would have looked like he was not praying to God? If he looked like he was only praying towards Darius instead of God, that he put man above God? How would that have looked to the others? Remember, Ezekiel writes about Daniel. Ezekiel mentions Daniel. And he puts him on the same level in the same sentence with the righteousness of Job and Noah. That's pretty amazing. Right? Could you imagine someone says, boy, that person, boy, they're as faithful as Noah. They're as righteous as Job. And they're saying that while you're still alive. I mean, it's one thing for them to say it when you're dead, right? You know, at your funeral, they say a lot of nice stuff about you that they would not say when you're alive, you know? <laughs> but here, while he's still alive, he's writing that Daniel and Noah and Job and their righteousness. How would that affect Ezekiel? If he heard that Daniel stopped praying for a month and only prayed or petitioned the king, And all the rest of the captives there in Babylon now, Medo-Persia. What would that do to their faith? He lived it out so that it could be seen by those around him. We've got to live out our faith. Regardless of what other people think, regardless of what other people say, regardless if they're going to throw us into a lion's den, And when we live rightly and an excellent spirit is upon us, that's what it's going to be. The world is going to hate us. All the world is going to wander after the beast. Not just the 122 sir traps and governors. All the world is going to hate us. As they came upon Daniel and wanted to throw him in the lion's den. It is a real threat. Daniel knew it was a real threat. I'm sure others had been thrown into those lion dens before. And he knew it. And he knew what was coming. He knew they meant it, and he knew they had the power to do it. The decree was signed. Law means in Persians does not change. He knew there was no way out. Maybe you're facing some trial. Maybe you're facing some decree against you, which is going to end in very real possibilities, the loss of your job. 
or the end of your marriage or the loss of your mortgage or your eviction. Very real, and they have the power to do it, the power to bring you down. Unless you compromise. Subpoena against you to testify against someone falsely or else they're going to bring up this other thing against you. That's true, that they found. Some error on your taxes or something. They're going to bring that against you. If you don't testify falsely, are you going to yield? Or are we going to stand? He knew what it meant. And maybe you're facing some trial right now. Maybe there's some lions out there waiting to get you. Maybe there's some people out there, some governors and search traps, waiting to throw you into some den and have you eaten alive. Maybe it feels like the whole world is coming in upon you. Maybe there's some co-workers that are trying to get you fired or trying to pull you down. Or someone against you. Someone in your neighborhood doesn't like the way you grow your flowers or cut your grass. They're complaining about you to the homeowners association. The color of the paint on your walls. Maybe it seems like the world is against you. Maybe some family members. They don't like your faith or they don't like you or they don't like your spouse and they're trying to bring you down in the eyes of the rest of the family. And if that's the case, that's just par for the course. Welcome to Daniel's world. Welcome to this world. Someone called me this week and Tell me about all the troubles they're going through and all the problems they're going through. And they said, I think God is angry at me. Well, it's not that God was necessarily was angry at her. Satan's angry at her. <laughs> God doesn't bring problems because he's angry at us. We live in a troubled world. That's about par for the course. If you're going through troubles, well, that's about normal. We're not in heaven. If you haven't noticed, they're going to attack us. But Daniel didn't care. Because it doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what other people threaten. Even if they can actually follow through on it. Follow God. Despite the lions. Follow God. You don't have to yield to the temptation. You don't have to yield to the pressure of others. Right? Adam yielded to the pressure of his wife. He was afraid of losing his wife. I believe there will be a lot of people not in heaven because they were afraid of not obeying their spouse instead of obeying God. Or obeying some boss or obeying some king or some ruler in their life. Some teacher or some authority figure. Obey God. When he knew the decree was signed, he went and prayed anyway, as he always did. As a witness to others. Not only how would it affect Ezekiel, how would it affect the king? And as a witness to all these sertraps and governors, he did it as a witness. Let it be known. Like his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to, Dan to Nebuchadnezzar. You can throw us in that fiery furnace and our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we don't care. We're not going to bow down to your stupid idol. And they didn't. 
And God delivered him. Daniel's now in the same place. Again, last day events. Verse 11, these men found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God, and they went to the king and said, Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Well, they knew the answer to that. And the king answered, Yes, the law is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. And they said, Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. These guys are really showing their colors now. They're anti-Semites. Not only are they lying, low-life, hypocrites, they're anti-Semites as well. Not only murderers, they're anti-Semitic. They don't say, Daniel, one of your governors. They don't say, Daniel, one of the wise men from Babylon. They say, Daniel, that Jew, who's a captive of Nebuchadnezzar, who we captured. That captive Jew, that's who. Just like the king of Babylon said regarding him. Aren't you that Jew that, we, that our grandfather Nebuchadnezzar captured? These guys are the same, from the same cloth, same bolt. It hasn't changed. Anti-Semitism is still alive today. Oh, they'll try and Hide it behind, oh, it's a righteous law, O king. You know, that everyone exalts you, O king. Everyone comes to you, O king. They're just a small minority, like Haman later on. They're just a small minority that aren't living like the rest of us. Aren't following the law of God the way we interpret it. Aren't doing what we're doing. Let's get rid of them, get them out of the way. They annoy us. They convict us. They don't live the way we do. And it shows forth here in their words. I said this is prophetic of the last days. We're there. It's already shining forth, even in the halls of Congress right now. Filthy anti-Semitites openly speaking out and not even being condemned. Not even being brought down for their vile words. We're living this. And words will be followed by actions just as surely as here in Daniel. It will be again. It's playing out before us. But like Daniel didn't fear, we don't have to fear. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they do. Trust in the Lord and be faithful to him. And when God's record book is written, it will say, an excellent spirit was found in you. And no fault was found in you. No charge could be brought against you. That's all that matters. When the king heard these words, he was greatly displeased with himself, and he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. It says a lot about this King Darius. God's spirit was moving upon his heart. That's why he saw an excellent spirit in Daniel. And he loathes himself. His first 
feeling is not at blaming these sir traps and these governors. His first feeling is not at blaming Daniel or Daniel's God or Daniel's laws. But his first feeling is conviction to himself. And he loathes himself. He's greatly displeased with himself for doing this and not thinking this through. He was deceived. And in these last days, we might have a good king, a good leader of the world, a good president, a good prime minister, good whatever it is that's making these final decisions and bringing about these last day events and these final laws that will be the final test. Might be very good and very sincere and not meaning to hurt anyone, but not realizing the consequence of the pork that's been added to the law that's shoved in there. That they go and sign a law not realizing the bigger consequences. As they said when they came to the king, oh, we've all met together, all the counselors, all the governors, all the traps, all the advisors, we all met together. We have unity. We're looking for unity here. We all agree. 122 of us plus all these others, we're all in unity together and you, O oh king. We want what's best for the kingdom. We want what's best for the nation. We want what's best for the world. A show of unity. But there was one guy missing. Daniel wasn't there. And the king missed it. I don't think they're going to invite you or me to the table when they make their decisions regarding this world. And applying it to all the world. And the king missed it. And he's displeased with himself. And so again, it might be good people, might, there's some good people in high places, in political places in this world. But they also can be deceived. And I believe this is foreshadowing what might happen at the end. Something might get pushed through under the guise of being good economically or good socially or good for the country or good for the world. environmentally or whatever, get shoved through. When things really start to unravel, when there's terrorism going on all over the place, when there's natural disasters going on all over the place continually, and other types of financial disasters on top of that as a result of that, and famines and floods and earthquakes, People will be desperate, looking for some solution and pushing forward some kind of solution that will bring an end to the misery. And they'll sign on, not thinking through, well, this is going to affect this people group. And the king is displeased and he tries to find a way out. He spends all day trying to find a way out. And these men said, no, O king, that is the law of the Medes and Persians which... No decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So even though he tries, he can't change it. And so the king gave the command according to his word, according to the law he signed. And they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king said to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. That's a powerful statement from the king. Shows where his heart is. He has faith in the God of Daniel. Your God, he will deliver you. 
You serve him continually. How did the king know that Daniel served him, God, continually? He lived it out. As they met together, as he saw Daniel live his life, as they ate together, talked together, meetings together, Daniel praying, Daniel living a life that's godly. And his words and what he says. And not just that he's a nice guy, right? Because he could have hidden his religion and just be a nice guy, just be a righteous person, a mensch. But the king knew it wasn't just a nice guy that Daniel was, but he was a nice guy because he served his God continually. Daniel let it be known. It shined out. You know, he wasn't pushing it, no doubt. He wasn't boasting about it. But he wasn't hiding it either. And the king saw it. And this is why the king saw an excellent spirit in him. And so again, another testimony. The satraps and the governors said he, there's no fault in him. We can't find any fault in charge against him. And the king also, he serves his God continually. Now, would the king be able to say that if Daniel had closed the windows? Would he be able to say that if Daniel went and hid his righteousness out in the woods? No, that's why Daniel opened the windows. That's why he prayed as he always did. For the king's sake and for everyone else. There's people watching us. People watching everything. Well, they may not be watching you right now. They may not even be alive right now, but somewhere, some down the line is going to be watching you. And they're going to hear about you by, from somebody. Your great-grandkids may hear about you. Or some boss, long after Joseph's gone, will hear about you. And it'll be written whether we lived and served God continually, whether an excellent spirit was in us or not. And so how we live is important. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. He didn't want anyone coming and messing with this. Right? He believed God's going to deliver Daniel. He didn't want anyone coming and killing Daniel. He didn't want anyone being able to come and say someone came and took Daniel out. Someone came and protected Daniel. Someone came and killed the lions for Daniel's sake. So he puts his signet ring on it so that these sir-traps and governors and other jerks can't testify and say that there was some tricky play done here. He puts his signet ring on the stone. Because I believe he had faith in God. God's going to do something, and he believes it. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No musicians were brought before him. He could not sleep. The king rose very early in the morning and he went in haste to the den of lions. This is king. He's fasting all night long for Daniel. There's going to be times where we need to be praying not only three times a day, but maybe all night long. And fasting... Regarding situations in our lives. 
You want an excellent spirit, this is the way to get it. Through trials. <laughs> so it helps to bring the character out. The testings. Daniel's continually tested. And again, not so much for Daniel's sake, but for our sake. And for all those around Daniel. So the king, not able to sleep, goes and runs in haste to the lion's den. Now what do you think Daniel was doing all night long? He might have been praying, he might have been sleeping. What was Peter doing? The night before his execution, right? His execution date was set. They had it all ready. They had, him, they had it all planned out, wherever they were going to execute him. It was set. Guards were ready. There he is in prison, chained up. Guards on either side of him. And he's sleeping. He's sleeping so soundly, the angel has to shake him and wake him up. He was at peace, trusting in his God. So Daniel, he might have, I'm sure he prayed, I'm sure he had his prayer, but then he might have, you know, laid down on one of the lions and took a nap, you know. Rested through the night, snuggled up there, maybe. Or maybe he prayed all night long, too. He, you know, either way. He might have been praying. But either way, he was at peace. Anxious for nothing. When the king came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel, saying, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Again, Daniel, whom you, the God you serve continually. That God, was he able to deliver you? Maybe a little doubt there. Was he able to deliver you? Maybe it would have been better if he said, did he choose to deliver you? Right? Because God doesn't always choose to deliver us. There have been a lot of martyrs eaten by lions, physical lions, real lions down through the ages. Right? God has preserved the Colosseum in Rome and other places to preserve that and, and, and testify to that. With the blood of martyrs eaten by lions and other wild beasts. So God is able to, but he doesn't always do so. And that's okay too. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't. So was your God able, or maybe again better, did he choose to deliver you from the lions? Daniel said, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him, and I also, O king, have done no wrong before you. Right, so Daniel was living continually before God, without fault. And he's able to testify. His conscience was clear before God and man. And there's no reason that we can't live that way as well. It doesn't mean we're going to go around boasting, saying I'm pure, I'm, I'm perfect, I'm, I'm, I'm faultless, I'm innocent. No, because the closer we come to God, the more we'll see ourselves, not in relation to others, but in relation to God. And we'll always be much lower than God. There'll always be room for growth. There'll always be shortcomings and weaknesses to overcome. So we won't be focusing on self, thinking we're so great. We'll actually be knowing our great need of God's help. And so yes, he testifies, O king, live forever. God, may you, king, may you accept God and have eternal life with him. God sent his angel, one angel, to shut the mouths of these lions. 
powerful. But that's not the miracle in the story. The miracle is not the angel standing there shutting the lion's mouth. That's in all the children's stories. In all the children's stories, that's the miracle. But that's not the miracle of the account. That's nothing. That's easy for God to shut lions' mouths. That's nothing. The real miracle is what he did in Daniel's life. The real miracle is that Daniel did not fear the lions. That Daniel did not fear the governors and the satraps. That Daniel was anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, laid his problems before the Lord. And he was able to go willingly into the lion's den, like Isaac under Abraham's knife. Willingly, like the Messiah, willingly laying down his life. As we surrender our lives to the Lord, we can be at peace, Regardless of all the traps and governors in the world, regardless of all the lions in the world, we can be at peace, and that is the miracle of God. A peace that passes understanding, that can't be understood, that can't be explained. It's a miracle of God. And you and I can have that right now, whatever problem you're going through, whatever situation you're facing right now, God can give you peace through your problem, through your struggle, through your difficulty. Whatever decree the doctor has written regarding you, whatever the situation, God is able to deliver us if he chooses. He's more powerful than all the lions and all the diseases and all the situations out there. With all the troubles, God is more powerful. But God's not so concerned about the troubles and the problems and the diseases He's concerned about our character and our heart and our faith and whether we trust him or not. That's what God wants. That's what God wants to do. That's the miracles God's wanting to perform. We can pray for healing. We can pray for this. We can pray for that. Pray for the lawsuit to go away, this and that. But more important to pray for our character to be right with God. That can be written in the books of heaven. They served their God continually. There was no fault found in them. They were faithful in all things, trusting in the Lord over life itself. That's the miracle in the story. And the second miracle is what God did in Darius' life. Then he goes running to the cave. Daniel, is your God able to deliver you? Your God whom you serve continually is able to deliver you. He will deliver you. Praying all night, fasting all night. A miracle in Darius' life. I believe we're going to get to see Darius in heaven someday. I certainly hope so. Partly because of Daniel. And partly because of the lions. (laughs) God allowed Daniel to go through this trial. It strengthened Darius' faith. And that might be why you're going through your trouble. That might be why you're going through your problem. God has someone out there that he needs to witness to. And he's only going to see it through your problem. He's only going to see it because it's easy to smile on a sunny day. Everyone's smiling on sunny days. That doesn't show our faith. That doesn't show the power of God. The power of God here was shown in Daniel through the trial. And it may be to some king in your life. 
or maybe some Sir Trap or governor or someone or Ezekiel or some captive somewhere in your neighborhood that needs to see the power of God lived out in you through your trial. The king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. No injury whatsoever was found in Daniel because he believed in his God. And no injury would be found on your character and my character as we believe in the Lord our God. Satan has no foothold on us. He has no right to us under the authority of Yeshua the Messiah. The king commanded that they bring the accusers of Daniel and cast them into the den of lions with their children and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever even hit the bottom of the den. Talk about a feast. These lions, they didn't spare Daniel because they weren't hungry. These guys, even before they reach the bottom, the lions are jumping on them. Two governors, 120 sirtraps, all thrown in there together with their wives and children. Be careful who you marry. <laughs> you might get thrown into a lion's den because of it, and I'm serious. They can bring down your faith. They can bring us down. Again, Adam was brought down by Eve. Be careful who we listen to. Put God first over everything. Their children. The people make children, their children their God. The children and the wives, they all get thrown in. Maybe 400, 500 people thrown in. Lions had a feast. He cleaned the swamp, right? <laughs> and the king, the boldness of the king. Right here again shows the character of the king. This is really gutsy here, you know? I mean, now he's got an own government that's gone. He's got to start over from scratch. All these people who knew their jobs and knew their positions and, you know, all over the whole nation, they're all gone. They accused Daniel into the lion's den. There's going to be a judgment day and God will deliver us from the traps and governors or whoever in his time on judgment day, if not before. God will deliver and God is a righteous judge. And so this king, righteous king, pleads for Daniel. Made a mistake, but pleads for Daniel. Signed the decree, shouldn't have done it. Pleads for Daniel. His heart was with Daniel, and he ex executes judgment against those who are unrighteous. King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages, Peace be multiplied to you. I decree that everyone from my kingdom tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. So now Darius is going full circle. Now he's going, he's now witnessing. That's the end result, right? When we surrender our lives to the Lord, it's got to come out our mouths. It's got to be witnessed. We can't hold it in. And that's what happens here. He begins telling his whole kingdom. Everybody who can hear, he's got to put him in a position. And he testifies. He makes a decree. Now, now he doesn't mention an enforcement. He doesn't mention punishment if they don't fear or tremble before God. If there was, if it said, like Nebuchadnezzar wrote a decree like that, if you don't, then your house will become a dunghill. If he said, you know, if you don't fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, I'm going to throw you in the lion's den. Well, that would be a very unrighteous law. Even if it's the right God, even if it's the right law, if it forces people to obey God, 
when they don't believe in God, then it's an unrighteous law. And again, that's part of the last day events. But anyway, he's, not, he's making a decree, he's just setting it out. He's testifying. Like Nebuchadnezzar did after Nebuchadnezzar's full transformation. And your trial, you may not be in a position to proclaim it to the world, but your trial might be for somebody else who does have the ability and the authority to proclaim it far and wide. And that's what happens here. And he delivers, the king continues, this God delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth and he has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And from the power of the governors and traps, And the power of the devil. And the power of temptation. So Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. God bless Daniel. And God will bless us. Whether he lets us get eaten by the lions or not, serve the Lord. And God will use that testimony for all eternity. And so some of these areas apply to your life today. If you're going through some trial, some difficulty, some struggle. Someone's threatening to throw you in some lion's den or something. Bring some charge against you. Bring some hurt to you. Lay it before the Lord and trust in him. In faith, believe in the Lord God and don't yield. Secondly, if you're being tempted to Sin, tempted to worry, tempted to disobey God, tempted to put someone else above God, tempted to put something before God, tempted to break one of the laws of God. Surrender it to the Lord and ask God to give you the courage and the strength to stand like a Daniel. Maybe a job will be on the line or something, doesn't matter. Trust the Lord. Put him first in all things. Third, maybe you're tempted to join with the surtraps and governors and find fault in someone. Maybe they're encouraging you on the bandwagon for the unity of all. Maybe to find fault to someone in the congregation. Maybe to find fault to someone in your neighborhood, find fault in someone in your family or at work or at school. They're encouraging you to get into the gossip, to get into the negativity, to bring someone down in some way, shape, or form. Don't join with the Sir Traps and Governors. Don't unwittingly, like the king, sign your name with them. Don't add your voice to them. And if that's going on in your life, in a moment when we pray, you can give that over to God and ask God to give you the strength to stand up against them. Like a Nicodemus, like a Joseph of Arimathea, to stand against the tide. If you're wanting a double portion of God's spirit, if you're wanting it to be written and seen, an excellent spirit, God's spirit in you, in a moment when we pray, ask God to give you his spirit. Again, coming, comes along with God's spirit is, is trials and temptations and struggles. But God's spirit will give you the power and the victory over them. If you want God's light to shine through you, ask for God to give you his spirit. Fourth, 
if you want, by God's grace, for God to so live inside you that can be written on earth and in heaven, there is no fault found in him. And in a moment when we pray, I ask for God to just totally fill you with his spirit, to cleanse you through the blood of Messiah of all the carnal nature, of all hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil, to remove it all out of you, to fill you fully, completely with his ruach, with his power, with his spirit. Also, if there's some sin on your record, if again the search traps governors or God's searching eye and recording angels were to open up the record books right now and there's a sin on your record, maybe just one area, just one thing, there's some area or more that's there that would be exposed in the judgment that the accuser of the brethren, the devil himself, will eventually be thrown into the den with all his followers. But something that he would use now or in the judgment against you. God's bringing something to your mind. In a moment when we pray, confess it. Let the blood of Messiah wash your record clean and blot it out of the record books of heaven so that you can stand before God without fault, without blemish, without wrinkle. So if any of those areas apply to you or maybe some other area in your life, you're needing the courage to stand like a Daniel. Something applies to you. One of those areas, or maybe God's been speaking to your heart about something else in your life. Through this story, maybe something else. You just want to surrender it to God and let God live in through you. Maybe there's some Darius in your life that's needing to see your faith. Maybe there's someone that you're needing to proclaim. Maybe like Darius, there's somewhere or some avenue, maybe on your your Facebook thing to your fake Facebook friends and somewhere you need to proclaim the power of God in your life or in someone else's life to give testimony of what you have seen and heard and experienced. If God's moving on your heart to testify, and in a moment when we pray, ask God to give you his spirit so that his message will go forth and touch lives. So if any of those areas apply to you, I invite you to stand. If any of those areas, maybe not any area, maybe it doesn't apply to you, maybe not all areas, or if just one area applies to you, that list, or some other thing that God's moving upon your heart, then I'll invite you to stand now as we pray. It's before him and, and God. You know, tell us what area or what is applying to you. Just invite you, again, if, it, if there's something in this that applies to you, you're needing God to do some work in your life, I invite you to stand as we pray. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we thank you, you are a mighty God. We thank for your work in Daniel's heart and in Darius's heart as well. Lord, work in our hearts too. Lord, transform us from sirtraps and governors, accuser of the brethren, backbiters and jealous, fault finders, anti-Semitic and racist, fearful and anxious and worried. Forgive us and cleanse us yielding to temptation, weak and vacillating. Lord, forgive us and cleanse us. Remove that out of our lives and hearts. Fill us with your spirit. Live in us and through us by your might and by your power. Fill us with a double portion of your spirit. Fill us with your ruach. Fill us with your excellent spirit. Give us victory over sin. Give us victory over temptation. Give us victory over the devil. 
Give us the power to put you first and foremost over all things and over everything. And live in us and out of us. And use us in testifying in our lives, in our actions, and in our words. To your glory and your grace. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.